You're listening to The Big Picture with Edwin Eisendraft on WCPT 820. All right, everybody. Welcome back. Kyle Tharp is joining us again. You remember him. He's the co-founder, editor, lead writer for What It's Worth. That's the newsletter that tracks digital spending strategy and trends in our elections. Hi, Kyle. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me back on, Edwin. We have a lot to talk about. Um, yes, we do. Do, do you yet while, know right? how much was how much was spent, sort of, on digital campaigns this cycle? We don't. I mean, we have uh, sort of broad outlines, but very large top lines are kind of hard to pull together because of all the different groups spending. Um, but you know, one thing that we found before election day and, and saw afterwards was just a major. Uh, major disparity between Democrats and their outside groups versus Republicans in terms of spending on places like Facebook and Google. It was just, uh, it wasn't even close. Um, particularly what we saw concluding this week with the Georgia runoff election, even after election day, with a lot of Republican hand-wringing, uh, Democrats like Raphael Warnock and his allies continued to outspend Herschel Walker, something like four to one. So, I mean, we're talking about tens of millions, if not over $100 million in spending on places like Facebook and Google this year, which is really wild. Do you think the digital spend has, where does it compare to the spending on TV and campaigns now? (laughs) That's a really uh, great question. It uh, is completely dwarfed by television spending, believe it or not. Um, Still, the, the political campaign industry is dominated by a lot of television consultants that make a lot of money off of TV advertising, even though, so many Americans are, are cutting the cord and, and, you know, not watching traditional broadcast TV anymore. Um, it still is a lion's share of a budget. Although I will say that it, every cycle we see it shrink a little bit more and, and digital yep. increase. And, and I think moving forward, that's going to be the case. Really interesting. It's just, I mean, yeah. it's really interesting. And um, the spending patterns, but also the, awareness of what was going on online in the past has led to some changes like Facebook, which it just for me was a villain forever. Seems a, mm-hmm. seems, I don't want anything nice about them, but they were a little less villainous with, with sort of right wing nonsense this cycle. Do I, am I Absolutely. right about that? Yeah. I, I think that was one of the biggest stories at the intersection of the internet and politics, this cycle was Facebook's sort of exit from politics. So for a long time, Facebook tried to be a definitive source of news and information for their users. They had these financial partnerships with major media publishers. And, and as you know, we've talked about many times before, big right-wing pages like Ben Shapiro and Fox News would get tons and tons of likes and shares on their content on the platform. Well, I did a quick analysis of, of Facebook engagement over the past two years, and what we've seen is Facebook has intentionally deprioritized political content and news content in users' feeds. So if you're on Facebook, you're more likely to see vertical animal videos and pictures from your loved ones uh, or maybe favorite brands rather than political content. People are going to have a lot of ideas about whether that's good or bad, but it's, it was a major change this year, um, particularly, you know, during the Trump era, so much conservative content would, would just spread like wildfire on that platform. So I think it's generally a good development, but it definitely was one of the biggest stories that I saw this year. Yeah. Uh, amazing. Really amazing. 
Um, yeah, and, for sure. And I, I am encouraged by it. I mean, I like political news. I love that people are engaged with it, but but it has to be responsible news, you know, not just uh, whatever anybody wants to say, crazy stuff. Yeah, and and no one really benefits from a whole bunch of just partisan clickbait. You know, share this if you hate Trump or love Trump. Like it's just it's a whole bunch of nonsense that that kind of was garbage filling people's feeds anyway. And it's really good to see uh, how Facebook has kind of intentionally turned down the dial on that. Um, I think that's going to have a big impact on how campaigns are run in 2024 and where all those eyeballs move to. Are it, you know, folks, where are they going to get their political information then? If if not yeah. on Facebook, is it going to be somewhere else? Well, so, so I don't want to be too um, Pollyannish or optimistic about Facebook <laughs> not being the the source of such divisive and dishonest uh, news as it was in the past. E- even though so many people have sprung up to watch social media, to police social media, dark money does what it does. And there's a whole lot of stuff still finding its way out there. Have you seen that? Have you seen, you know, I mean, I, I, I think about all the, uh, I don't even know what to say, Cit- citizens for a cleaner world who are really funded by like <laughs> big oil. You know, stuff like that yeah. is out there, isn't it? Yeah. You know, after the 2016 election, there's this whole industry of academia and, and nonprofits, uh, think tanks that kind of sprung up to police and monitor misinformation and disinformation online. And those groups have done really great work and put out tons of reports. But we've seen bad actors kind of adapt to this new world of misinformation monitoring and kind of get around some of the rules a little bit. So a couple examples this year that I personally identified was one, we saw uh, a whole bunch of pro, supposedly pro climate ads that were telling uh, members of Congress to kill Joe Biden's climate legislation on Capitol Hill because it wasn't progressive enough. It turns out those ads were bought and paid for by uh, some type of industry group uh, that had ties to Republican operatives that really just wanted to kill the bill. So, you know, that was that was pretty shocking uh, discovery on our part that groups were able to create all of these different entities in order to advertise and, and essentially deceive voters. On uh, another level, more recently, in the final week of the election, we saw all these ads pop up urging Republicans to not vote for the Republican candidates because they weren't. Oh, I want to talk to you about that. The rhino stuff <laughs> yeah. is so interesting. It's yeah, so, it so just to, to just hang on because I know exactly where you're going, but I need to like we went a little too fast for everybody who's listening online. So yeah, Kyle course. and I, he was just talking about how how, uh, for instance, on the environmental stuff, groups organized with really tie, the real intention was to kill environmental legislation, but they pretended to be environmentalists. And so, you know, every Democrat gets gets their hackles up and says this is outrageous. It should never happen. Right. But but now hear this. Yeah. So in the final week of the midterms, uh, we saw ads running in, I believe, four states, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin and Arizona. Uh, that were telling Republicans not to vote for the Republican candidate for state legislature in their district uh, because they were uh, tied to ballot mule schemes or they were secret Democrats. They were not conservative enough. 
And these advertisers were called Rhino Hunter pages, you know, Republicans in name only. So they were, they were accusing these Republican candidates of, of being rhinos and telling people not to vote for them. Well, the only alternative would be to vote for the Democrats. And so they serve the purpose of you know, decreasing Republican vote share in a whole bunch of highly competitive state legislative races. Uh, I took a closer look at, at who was behind some of these groups and found ties to some prominent Democratic consulting firms uh, and nonprofits. So uh, I, I don't have exact individuals pinned down on who is behind this, although uh, I, I am familiar with several of the Democratic groups and firms that were involved. Um, so that was another you know, really interesting uh, way that smart, sophisticated operators are able to get around political transparency rules and really run ads saying whatever they want without people knowing who's behind them. Yep. So I, I, um, I don't like that. I would prefer that we have rules that everybody abide by and it's better for the democracy. But the partisans who are listening are going to cheer that Democrats have figured out how to play, how to use all of the edges that Republicans have used in the past. None of it's good for us, but uh, they used them and they used them well. Yeah, I'm torn on it as well, right? When when our very democracy is at stake, you know, I I think this is an example of some Democrats bringing, you know, not bringing a knife to a gunfight. And so... Uh, it's extremely controversial. Uh, folks will have lots of opinions on it, but um, but people are going to do what they have to do. Yeah. Um, Kyle, um, I have so many questions, and I'm just looking at the clock. I want to make sure I ask you when you can answer before we have to take a break. Um, we, yeah, we talked sure. about state legislative races when you and I talked in October before the midterms. Mm-hmm. Um, and you were telling that Democrats were paying more attention to these races online than Republicans. And I didn't know what to make of it at the time. Then this happened. Democrats had a miraculously strong showing in state legislative races around the country. What does that tell you? Yeah, I mean, that type of investment really paid off. So a, a typical swing state state legislative race does not receive a lot of advertising investment. And so your dollars go so much farther if you're if you're you know spending on digital advertising, targeting voters in specific zip codes. I mean, several thousand dollars is is a major investment in some of these races. And so the fact that Democrats really prioritize and spread out their money uh, to win key chambers in key states uh, will have an enormous impact on. <laughs> literally our democratic future moving forward uh, in 2024, particularly with all of these state legislatures, uh, Republican state legislators eager to, to do a whole bunch of crazy election stuff. So I, that was, I that mean, was flipped really Michigan prevented a supermajority in Wisconsin. I mean, remarkable things that I think flipped Pennsylvania as well. Yeah. Okay. Everywhere. Yep. I mean, it was, it was really great. Um, and that type of down ballot investment is something that democratic operatives voters have been asking for for a long time, and we finally received it. Um, it was another example. You know, we, we spoke before Election Day. I've said this ad nauseum about Republicans just running an old school campaign, the cycle up and down the ballot. And Democrats really were able to take advantage of a whole bunch of Republican campaigns not not doing their best. Um, and, and particularly on the state legislative level, that resulted in some, like you said, miraculous results. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hint to everybody listening, we cannot count on that happening ever again. 
So enjoy it for a moment. It's not going to get any easier. Hey, we need to take a quick break. Uh, Kyle and I have a lot more to talk about. Don't go away. You're listening to The Big Picture with Edwin Eisentraff on WCPT 820. Okay, everybody. I am talking to Kyle Tharp, uh, the co-founder, editor, lead writer of a newsletter called For What It's Worth that it, uh, is really interesting and really focuses on digital campaigning. It's um, a bigger and bigger part of our lives. Hey, Kyle, we are turning from uh, the, the, this election cycle to around the country, a more very local sort of municipal elections, mayors and the like all over the country next year. Um, what, what do you expect to see in the digital campaigning world in, you know, in, in uh, elections at that level? For sure. Um, particularly in some of these major mayoral races, I know, I think Chicago has a big one coming up just in a couple months. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, you know, a lot of the key operatives and consulting firms and, and folks that were working on the midterms, particularly on winning campaigns in the midterms, have already pivoted to, to start working on some of these major campaigns in municipalities. And so a lot of the tactics that you saw this cycle will likely translate into some of these more localized races. Um, I expect major spending in the Chicago mayoral election, um, as well as in other places. Um, I think one thing that we saw this cycle that was really huge, and I've mentioned before, is the rise, the impact of the youth vote um, and how campaigns tried to reach younger voters. And I would definitely, particularly in these big progressive cities, um, anticipate a whole bunch of campaigns trying to reach younger voters using things like TikTok and Snapchat and online engagement tools, too. Um, So definitely, I think a lot of these learnings are going to translate to next year's elections, too. Yeah, I mean, and local TV, you know, certainly news ratings are way down. People are finding their news in other ways. So the digital world is, I I don't know how else camp, I mean, of course, the tried and true and very best method, which is like to go to somebody's door, is still going to happen in in big cities. But I think a lot of uh, what used to be TV is going to be replaced. um, More interesting targeted digital stuff. Well, and that on-the-ground organizing stuff is, is really going to make a difference in places like Chicago. The, this cycle, remember, in, in 2020, we were not able to knock on doors because of the pandemic. This cycle, mm-hmm. we saw Democrats really mobilize their voters on the ground, tons and tons of events around the country. And uh, I definitely think, you know, Democratic field organizing is here to stay and, um, and will just be continuously ramped up until 2024. And, and, and but they they work together because so much organizing these days relies on social media. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, how are campaigns recruiting volunteers to come uh, volunteer at their events? And that's using you know websites where they can easily get people to sign up or sharing the word on Facebook or elsewhere on social. So they definitely yep. go hand in hand. Yeah, it's really interesting. Okay, I, I the uh, the other thing I want to talk to you about is um, sort of the downside of using social media to fundraise and, and, and attract attention. And that is the grift, the, just the mm. grift. Um, yep. I, 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 I don't, is, you know, I mean, I think about the appeals to raise money for Herschel Walker, where I give money for Herschel Walker and most of the cash ended up 
at the NRSC, not at Herschel Walker. That's exactly campaign. right. Oh, right. Yep. Oh, that, but for those of you who are listening, I'm sorry about the acronym. That's the National Republican Senate Campaign Committee, not the not the candidate himself. But they asked for money, and then they gave like 10 percent of it to poor Mr. Walker. And and Trump oh, oh, does no, this all the time. It was worth. It, it was one percent of the money went to Herschel Walker. Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! Right. Yeah. And, and Donald Trump is even worse. He's raised uh, countless amounts of money to get involved in races, and and it goes to him, not to the races. Is there any consumer protection for people who want to make donations online? There is not, and it's uh, it's a tragedy. I think this cycle, I heard so many complaints on both sides of the aisle. Uh, about bad actors, you know, spamming and scamming their supporters. I spoke with a lot of uh, Democratic consultants who are trying to change that behavior on the left. Um, but you're right. It's ubiquitous. I mean, online fundraising and politics is just known as a very scammy thing. And it really stinks. You know, you donate to one campaign, you give them $5 because you believe in them. And suddenly all these other random campaigns around the country are filling your inbox with. your Yeah. Yeah, you get a million yeah. emails, and some of them. I mean, I, we we saw this with Donald Trump and his campaign. You know, some you don't even know it, but you have you, by by giving him something once, you've committed to a a monthly payment plan where they take money from oh. you every month, and, and they've had to yeah. you know been forced to refund a lot of that, but still. It's a travesty, particularly for senior citizens. I think the Republicans are much worse in that regard, right? They they definitely have adopted more scammy and spammy tactics. And as a result this year, you saw them raking in less donations. I think they really burned through a lot of their online fundraising lists, and a lot of their voters were turned off because of all of these aggressive tactics. So that's a warning sign for Democrats to make sure that we treat our supporters with respect, uh, particularly when it comes to text message fundraising and, and email fundraising, or else maybe that well will dry up one day, um, which we can't have happen, particularly on our side. Um, but you're right. It's yeah, it's just been a major story this year. And, and unfortunately, there's no end in sight uh, that I can tell. It's really painful for people who, you know, want to support a candidate and then lose complete control of their inbox. Right. Yeah. Just now overflowing with with, you know, pleas for cash. And and then we now know the cash doesn't go to where we think it's going to go half the time. Right. And, yes, the, believe it or not, the 2024 election has already begun. Um, uh, you know, Trump's campaign is sending out, I don't know. 20 emails a day asking for money. Uh, his potential competitors, like Mike Pompeo and Christy Nome, are, are already running ads like that. That campaign has already started. And, um, and it's really fascinating. You know, Trump's name has been the number one fundraising tool for committees like the Republican National Committee, the NRSC, like you mentioned earlier. Um, those committees are no longer allowed to use his name um, in their email fundraising appeals because they don't want to appear not neutral, right? So, um, mm. so you're going to see some some grassroots fundraising at the national Republican level dry up because they're no longer going to want to tie their email programs to to Donald Trump in particular. Um, which is well, super I, interesting. But like Wendy Rogers is a mm. state legislature in legislator in Arizona who like three seconds after the governor's race was certified, the Maricopa County um, Republicans all certified unanimously 
that they were um, the election results went the way they went. She sent out an email to everybody saying, you know, she's going to lead the state legislature committee to fix the voting problem in Maricopa County, which there wasn't one. And she's now the biggest fundraiser out there in the state. Yep, I can believe it. You know, really firing people up with <laughs> false information lies. Um, and outrage bait and lies uh, is sometimes good for fundraising, right? Um, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Tell somebody this house is on fire, they're going to believe you and freak out about it. So, yeah, I'm not surprised. Um, it's really depressing. But um, on a brighter note, you know, I was I was very happy with what happened in Arizona this cycle. Uh-huh. Really, really surprising a rebuke of extremism by the voters. I think Americans are, um, look, we, we have ads directed at us 24 hours a day. I mean, practically beamed mm-hmm. into our sleep. Americans are the most advertised to people in the world. We have an enormous consumer society. So in some sense, we're a little savvier about the stuff that people send us than maybe everyone thinks. Yeah, I'd like to think, I think we, voters, we can defend ourselves a little bit. Yeah, I mean, my, my biggest takeaway from, from November 8th was that we don't give voters enough credit for their own agency, and particularly a lot of these like consultant types in D.C. Um, think that voters may be a little bit more gullible or swayable than they actually are, which I think is a good thing. You know, folks actually came out in droves uh, to rebuke a whole host of extremist candidates everywhere, um, which is really inspiring. Okay, so um, I don't really don't want to talk about the next election cycle yet. <laughs> yeah, we can stay away from um, that. But, but, but the, the, the human beings who developed expertise in digital campaigning and were working that cycle are now um, – they can't all find jobs in the municipal cycle. It's just not big enough. What do they do right. in their da- What do they do in the off time? I mean, do, do campaigns because they're valuable find other work for them to keep them going? I mean, or do they go to work for corporate America? You know, advertising products. Well, I, I think there's a whole bunch of different things, right? There's there's a whole host of progressive advocacy organizations on the left, many of which are based in in DC. Um, that will be focused on taking that that kind of talent pool and channeling it into effective issue advocacy over the next year or two, um, and that's mm-hmm. that's super great and valuable. You know, I've already heard rumblings of, of folks interviewing people for 2024 campaigns. Believe it or not, so some some people will just jump straight in, um, and then others may start new digital consulting firms uh, or for profit enterprises to. Uh, work on races like the Kentucky governor's race this year or, um, yeah. or a whole host of state legislative races in Virginia this year um, or next year. Sorry. Um, so, yeah, there's no shortage of work to be done, uh, but you're right. There are a whole bunch of talented campaign operatives, particularly in the digital space um, that are now looking for jobs. Yep. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. Well, as always, I, I really appreciate the, the time you give me and all of us who are listening to sort of make sure that we're not, uh, you know, completely ignorant about this world. I, I just should tell you before you go, when I first started this show, I don't know, a year and a half ago or so, 
the, the, what people thought was Republicans will never lose because they understand modern campaigning. Cambridge Analytica, uh, they said, not knowing what that is. They got it. They know they have the secret sauce. Democrats don't have it. They'll take 20 years to catch up. None of that was true. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, you know, I I kind of bought into some of those narratives back then, too. Uh, but yeah. you're right. Uh, this cycle was a wild ride and it really showed us um uh, some very positive, encouraging signs uh, for campaigns on the left, um, which I hope we continue uh, to kind of own that space going forward. Yep. That is a great last word, Kyle. Um, I will talk to you again. If I don't talk to you before the year's up, happy holidays. And I, I wish you and uh, the best to start to 2023. Awesome. Same to you. Thank you so much, Edwin. You bet. All right, everybody, we're going to take a break. There's some news. Uh, there may not be news at the bottom of the hour, but when we come back, I, I have a just somebody you haven't heard from yet, a voice you should hear, uh, a, a, a young woman who has done a remarkable thing in politics, and I will tell you about that coming up. Stay tuned. You're looking at the big picture with Edwin Eisentraff on WCPT 820.